as we've gone through this immeasurably more series, I want you to get this into your heart today. So many times what we think is impossible is possible with God. So many times what we think is impossible with us is possible with God. And we've been looking at this in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 as Paul has admonished the church in Ephesus as he is admonishing and encouraging us today. We believe in a God who is doing immeasurably more than all we think or imagine. Amen, church? So I encourage you as you've gone through this, we've just gotten so much encouragement through God's word together. See, the problem many times, in real, the real difference maker in our lives is that we and many people just see themselves as an observer in their own life. They're just an observer rather than a participant in what God is doing. And we are sometimes very fine with that and okay with that, but God's word's not. And his desire is for us to participate in what he's doing throughout the earth. So I'm going to encourage you today to push back the boundaries as we look in this story of Mark chapter 5, verses 21. We're going to get there in just a moment. But if you'll turn there with me in your Bible and look at this portion of Scripture, that we have to understand that we get to choose our response to adversity. How many of you heard me? Amen. We get to choose our response in the middle of adversity. So we make our own decisions. God doesn't make them. We make them, right? And rather than letting current circumstances or situations, you know, dictate where we should go and what we should do, we need to push back the boundaries in this life to where God wants us to go. Some people feel only locked into the natural when we as believers are able to move in the supernatural with his help. Are you with me? No, are you with me this morning? Come on now, all right? So you can make a choice even when there's adversity and the circumstances are against you. So if you turn there to Mark chapter 5, verse 21 and starting, I'm going to read about 20-some verses here. It says, when Jesus had crossed over by boat, To the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come, put your hands on her so that she might be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, and she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering, freed from her suffering. And at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see, the people are crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Verse 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe. 
He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them and went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithia kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders to not let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So I want to talk to you today about having an awareness of the atmosphere that you are in. In our Immeasurably More series, I think it's very important to understand the atmosphere that we are in. You know, I noticed like you, before Jesus told this girl to get up, he did something else in verse 40. It says, those people laughed, and then he put them all out. Wow. So they went up to the girl and told her, get up. That's what he did, Jesus. So before she got up, some people in the room had to get out. Who are the they? In verse 40, the negative, unbelieving, sarcastic, cynical crowd had to get out of the room. You know, you know those kind of people, you know the kind of people who kind of light up the room when they walk out of the room? How many of you are with me? Yeah. They light up the room when, when they walk out. That's what we're talking about here. The negative people concluded that the girl was dead, and they laughed at him, and after that, he put them all outside. There is so much inside of the story. I can't even go into it today, but it is amazing. Everybody that was laughing at the fact the girl was not dead, she was asleep, he literally told them, you have to leave this room. Now, I don't want to mess too much with your understanding of Jesus. I'm sure you have a theology and understanding of who Jesus is, or I hope you do, or you're learning that as our time together, or whatever it may be in your small group that you are. But I want to, I want you, I want to kind of come in and say, hey, we many times think of Jesus as he was nice and sugary sweet, but he is gangster as well. I just want you to know that. He took all of the negative people and he put them outside. That's gangster, right? Right? And then he went up and said to this girl, get up. Before she could get up, some people had to get out of the room. What if the power of a miracle is not just in the miracle itself, but rather than in the atmosphere and in the environment that surrounds your miracle? What if? You may be telling things in your life, and you're saying today, they need to get up. You, you may be here this morning and say, there's some things, and if I look at my environment, they need to get up, and everything around you, you know you have to tell them to get out. But there's a divine collision that's happening of characters in this text today, and it's amazing how each one of our lives are connected. Isn't it amazing that each of our lives are interwoven and interconnected? Sometimes we feel so different. We think we're so different from people around us, but it's amazing to know that nobody lives an autonomous life. Nobody does, though they think they do many times, but they don't understand that our lives are not straight lines, but they are connected, they are interwoven in this beautiful story of the goodness and the grace of God. And in Mark 5, as Mark begins to tell us about a young Jewish ruler by the name of Jairus, he interrupts the story to talk about a woman with an issue of blood. Jairus is a man, she is a woman, Jairus is named in the text. This woman is not named at all. Jairus is honored and respected. This woman has been shamed and rejected. 
Jairus is a ruler in the Jewish synagogue. This woman can't even enter the synagogue because her sickness has made her unclean. Jairus is married with a child. This woman is single and her sickness has robbed her of the joy of motherhood. Jairus, we know from this story, he is affluent and has money in the bank, but this woman has no money. Matter of fact, she spent all of her money trying to get well. We see this in today's language. We could kind of say, well, Jairus is driving a high-end luxury vehicle, but this woman is on the bus. They have, it seems on the surface, nothing in common, nothing connected on the peripheral. But you got to go deeper into the story, and you have to understand that they are in the same place in the posture and position together because they've both been hit with something that they cannot handle at this moment and season in their life. Life has a way of evening the playing field. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Life has a way of bringing it down to the lowest common denominator in our lives today, and we have to understand that as you and I come into this room today, you might not know another person, but you and I are interwoven and we are connected because we're here at the same place today worshiping God together. Amen? Amen. You ever been there? Has life ever hit you so hard? You're like, wow, you're reeling back from it? And you're wondering, what just hit me? The likes on my social media can't even fix this thing. The degrees after my name, before my name, can't even fix what I am going through. And you say, how in the world am I going to deal with what I'm going through? If you've been hit with something you can't handle, you have to know today that is a job for God to do through Jesus Christ. And he is the one that is able to touch you and to change the situation and to change the circumstance and the scenario you're in. I love as you look at this story because it says pushing people out of the way to get to Jesus. They didn't have a nice, pretty pathway to Jesus. The text says they had to push people away, like move, get out of my way. I know we tell our kids, be nice and don't shove. These people didn't get that understanding because Jesus was in the midst and they needed to get to him. So they pushed them out of the way and they moved people physically because they were desperate for God to do something greater. Look at Jairus, he's a ruler in the synagogue, but he's still pushing move. This woman has an issue of blood. She's unclean. She's not supposed to be touching people, but she didn't care because she needed to get to Jesus Christ. They are pushing because desperate people do desperate things. Have you ever noticed that in your own life? That when you are desperate for something, you will do something different. You'll do something different, and, and to the immeasurably life, more life that God is calling us to, we're, we're going to have to move the boundaries back, church. That's what I'm saying, through God's uh, word and his help and the power of the Holy Spirit, that we have to become desperate for God to show up. Let me tell you something. When you're desperate, you show up at church even when there's not a church service. When you are desperate, you worship Jesus whole lot more differently than when everything is going well in your life. You worship differently. Desperate people worship differently because there's the divine desperation inside of you to get to Jesus because I need this thing answered now. So are you desperate for him? And you, and you realize that through doing something different than business as usual. They were both desperate for a miracle. I found in my life, I'm sure you have as well, that God will often use desperation to drive me to my destiny. How about you? Desperation will drive you to your destiny. You learn a whole lot about you and a whole lot about God in those moments of desperation, don't you? There are, there are some things that only desperation can fix rather than just being cool, calm, and collected, right? 
desperation has a way of honing the focus of our heart and the focus of our life to what is really important. So when you are desperate, you do things differently. You don't have time to be petty. Yes, I see that hand, brother, right up there. And when you are desperate for the Lord, you don't have time to be petty. You don't have time to be critical. You don't have time to build strife in your home, in your business, or in the church that you are. You don't have time because you're desperate, because desperation hones the focus of your heart. Are you with me? You do things differently, right? So desperation, you get to the understanding that that Facebook can't fix you. And all the likes on your social media page can't fix you like Jesus can. It doesn't matter what people say about you, against you, to you. Behind your back, you go do what God's called you to do. Desperation drives you. Are you hearing me? So desperation is the door that breaks and that, that breakthrough walks through. Some of you wonder why you've not getting, gotten your breakthrough. It's because you're not desperate enough. Amen? There's something about being in a place where people are hungry. And listen, I'd, I'd rather preach to just a few handful of people, five people that, that, uh, that are in a barn than, than people that, that act like they got it all together and are bougie and think, I got this thing, I got it whipped, and I can write a check for it. Give me five hungry people, and you can change a nation. You can change cities. You can change atmospheres with God's help. Amen? Rather than painting this on like, I got this thing covered. And you know what? I, my, you, you don't know what I got in my bank account. You don't know. No, get, don't, don't, don't talk to me like that. Get, get hungry for the Lord and get desperate for, for him. And I just wonder if there's people in the place that can give the Lord praise today because desperation is in their heart. Now give it to him like you're desperate today. Come on, church. Come on, like you're desperate. Lord, we're desperate. We're desperate for you, Lord, to come. Lord, you are the one. Come on, church. It's in this tide of desperation that brought this woman and Jairus both at the feet of Jesus. I love that because two different people from two different walks of life come together, and now they're at the same place. They're at the feet of Jesus. Nothing in common on the surface, but it's so amazing what happens. And I want to have you understand this is that, like I said, this scripture verse, and I pray that you go in and you're able to read it and you're able to go in and understand the context of this. But this out of the gospel writer of Mark, as he wrote this, that this is what's called in theological terms as a Markin sandwich. Markin sandwich. This is where two stories are intertwined and they come together for a purpose of seeing Jesus be glorified. It's bringing two what seems unrelated and disconnected situations and people and brings them together under the name of Jesus so Jesus can do something great. That we realize that we don't live autonomous lives. We all come and we need the same Jesus no matter where we come from, amen? We need him to come and move in immeasurably more ways right so you see this nothing on the surface seems the same but this is a power in the potency of the church this is it coming together in the gospel that we gather together today no matter what's going on in the different circumstances of your life and the different skin colors and the socioeconomic statuses that we all come together and that we need God to do immeasurably more today in Jesus name they both ended up at the feet of Jesus. If you look at the details 
of this scripture verse and you get some clarity out of two desperate lives, it's clear that Jairus approached Jesus first. He was desperate. He said, Jesus, I need you to come quickly and I, and I don't need you to take your time. I need you to come now. This woman has been suffering with an issue of blood. She's been hemorrhaging and it's been happening for a while and here's how Mark wants us to know they're interconnected because it's, it so happens that Jairus' daughter is dying as 12 years old and the woman has the issue of blood has been dealing with it for 12 years old. Make no mistake that it's put in there for a reason. See, what I want you to know is sometimes you and I can be so preoccupied with your promise or so preoccupied with your pain that you don't see other people in pain. Or we don't see what other people are going through. Sometimes that thing is so glaringly obvious in our lives that we miss that other people are hurting as well, especially in a self-saturated society. We forgot that we're supposed to weep with those who weep and we're called to rejoice with those that rejoice. Both of them had an awareness of Jesus in that moment of who he was. See, your awareness of God's authority will determine how much you receive from him. See, oftentimes we read this text and we reduce the text only to a matter of faith. Now, faith is absolutely vital and important. But sometimes all we do is look at this and just say, well, it's just a portion on faith. Well, we understand faith is important because it's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen, Scripture says. And without faith, it's impossible. You can't possibly please God without faith. So faith is vital. It's our anchor. But how many of you know an anchor has got to be tied to something? Right? You just don't drop an anchor in the water without it being tied to something. Our faith has to be tied to God's authority. It has to be tied to the authority of who he is because it validates that fact that God has all authority and the authority of his word, of his power. That is what our faith is connected to. Now, if you don't understand God's authority, you're going to struggle in your faith, right? You've got to know what you're tied to and that God is able to take you there. So God doesn't care if there's a sickness or disease or dying family member or what it is that you're face, facing. There, there is nothing outside of the power of God's authority. The disciples marveled at Jesus' authority when they were in the boat with him, and he looked at them and said, Oh, ye of little faith, that he says, you know, your faith is so small because you don't have an awareness of my authority. And men, could you imagine? We know this story well. If they had an awareness of Jesus' authority, they should have looked at him while he was sleeping and the winds and the waves are rocking. Listen, and they should have just looked at him. Hey, Jesus, if you're not stressed, I'm not stressed, Right? And, and scoot over, Jesus, because I'm just going to come in and cuddle with you in this moment on this boat. Because, listen, Jesus, if you're not stressed about this, I'm not going to be stressed about it. Amen? Sometimes we're stressed about things God is no, he's not even stressed about. we got, we got to know that he is there with us. And so, man, we got to get an understanding of the authority. Your awareness of God will always determine what you get from him. So Jairus got a house call because that was the awareness of God's authority. Jesus, you've got to come to my house, you've got to lay your hands on her, and you've got to heal her because that's the only way that she is going to get up. And, and that was his awareness of Jesus' authority. And Jesus is like, okay, I will go with you. The, the woman had a different awareness. She said, no, you don't need to come to my house, I'm coming to you. And so if I can just touch the hem of your garment, I'm going to be made whole, and she was. 
That was the awareness she had of his authority. And we are reminded through scripture of the many stories of faith and the awareness of God's authority and also the lack thereof. But you remember the centurion that had amazing faith. He says, Jesus, I'm a man in authority and I am under authority. So when I tell someone to do something, they do it and I don't need to check on them to see if they got it done. He said, my servant, you know, is sick. You just speak the word. My servant will be healed. And a servant got healed without Jesus being in the same room. Because one person understood his authority. That you and I are under authority. We're under him. So no wonder that Jesus, the Bible says, marvel at his faith. It's the only time that we see Jesus marveled at someone's faith, and it was the centurion. And the only time he marveled at someone's faith, well, this man had an awareness of his authority. Sometimes we don't have a faith problem. We have an awareness of an authority problem. How many of you are with me? Right? That we are aware that the authority is here. So, so, you know, it's kind of like as you look at it, many people think their situation has the authority in their life. There's some of you living in this room, going out of here, and you have allowed your scenario have the last word and authority in your life. So many people live this way. Right? Well, we understand why the world lives that way. They don't have an understanding of who God is fully. But as believers, many times we live like that situation has the final authority and we live off of that. Some of you have been going off of what family members have said and spoken over your life and all you're doing is living up to that when God has the final authority in your life. Amen? Some of you have been listening to the doctors and I, I believe in doctors and nurses and medical staff and, and, and that's great. Kristen has her nursing degree as well. I, I believe that, that they're, they're there to help us. But, but some of you have banked 100% on the doctor's final word and that's all you're living off of. And I want to encourage the body of Christ. It's time to start pushing back the boundaries. It's time to start pushing back the boundaries and saying, Lord, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've called me to elevate over this circumstance and this situation. Now listen, I'm telling you today, I'm just preaching this by faith with awareness of God's authority as well because as many of you know, my mom's been in the hospital since the end of December, over a month, and, and she has been bleeding and they, they haven't been able to 100% nail this thing down. She's received over 10 units of blood. So I'm coming to you today and I'm just preaching this thing by faith, going through my own discovery of this. And I've asked God why and I've, 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 I've prayed to God and cried out with my siblings and many of you and family members and people all over the world believing for that. And so today I come to you believing and expecting God to do something great because my mom knows the authority in the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so, that my mom the other week when she was in ICU, she's sitting there witnessing to the person next to her that's in the ICU bed right next to her, right there. That's my mom. I know she has an awareness. So I'm coming to you and I'm just preaching this thing by faith today with an awareness of God's authority that he is able to, that he is able to do this. He is able to heal. How about you today? That, yeah, you, you've heard what decisions have been made by other people, circumstances, or what, what seems factual, but are you willing to push back the boundaries today to go further in your awareness? You know, this woman had a different awareness. No, you don't, you don't need to come. I'm coming to you. And so you look at this. It's just amazing. It, you're, it's kind of like many times what happens. We, we pick up the phone, and 
we're dealing with something, we purchased something, you know, online or whatever, and it got all mixed up, and you're trying to figure it out, or you're dealing with a phone bill or whatever, and you pick up the phone, and you're like, hey, you know, uh, this problem and situation's happening on my account, and all of those things, and, and you're talking to an employee. Well, there comes a moment in time when you're like, wait a minute, you're not living up to your customer service here, so what do you do? Can I speak to a manager now? Can I speak to a supervisor? Why? Because I know you are not the final authority. I'm going to push back the boundaries and go beyond what you say in the declaration of your value system in your company, and I'm going to push back on this, and I'm going to say it's time to push back the boundary because I need this situation fixed. I need this thing to change. I need God to show up right now, today, in this moment, right? What I hope you do is I hope you get so annoyed with the enemy that is trying to speak lies into your life and you need to get to the final authority. The final authority that rests in God. That you need to speak to God like he is the final authority because that's who, he has absolute authority. It's not partial, it's absolute, right? See, so we, we gotta stop believing what the enemy keeps saying. And so God brought the devil, we, it's hard to understand this, but, but it really happened because God brought the devil into this earth as an angel, right? And it came that way, and then, then, then the angel, you know, had a free will, and he allowed that to happen. And so with that, he chose to go against God, and so God cast him out of heaven and said, no, you can no longer stay here. Uh, there's only one God, and I'm it. But you need to realize that in this world that, that God is going to take the devil out in the end because he is absolute authority. He is absolute authority. So why are you believing the lies of the enemy that has partial authority and only uh, just a curse on you? Why are you listening to that? So this lady for 12 years has been speaking. She's been speaking to the wrong people. She said, I'm going to touch his garment. So her healing was an interruption on Jairus' journey. Don't forget who got to Jesus first. It was Jairus. He showed up first. You need, you need to come. You need to come. My, my daughter is dying. Hurry up, Jesus. Man, we would all be just begging, begging Jesus at that moment. Some in our family would just like, Lord, come now. Don't delay. Jesus is like, who touched me? They're like, you do, do you see all these people? And the Bible says her whole story was told. Isn't it frustrating to wait on your miracle? He had to watch her get her miracle while he was waiting on his. Isn't that frustrating? Whether somebody's getting a miracle in front of you and, and you know, you're kind of standing there and you're like, oh, that's great. I, I won't be happy for you, but you can, right? Waiting to get engaged. Waiting to get married, watching other people walk down the aisle. Waiting to have a child watching people post pictures of their baby while you are barren, waiting to get healed. Watching other people shout about their healing while you're waiting for yours. And so I want to let you know that in this story, this should be of great encouragement that, that as they're watching and waiting 
for their own miracle, somebody else gets it in front of them. But listen, if God's able to do it for that person, he's sure able to do it for you. Amen. But God's able to do that. Today, today, it's in the atmosphere. It's in the atmosphere. So we know the prerequisite for resurrection is death. Jairus, your daughter, is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Be careful of people in your life that are quick to tell you to give up and go home. Because Jesus is a way maker. He's a miracle worker. And he still does immeasurably more than all we can think or imagine. Don't be afraid, he said. Just believe. I speak that into your spirit. Don't be afraid today. Just believe. Peter, James, and John, come on. He takes them into the house. Why all this commotion? The girl's not dead. She's asleep. The people started laughing. They go from crying to laughing. I'm out. They seem cuckoo at this moment, you know. They didn't understand Jesus' power and authority. They think, well, well, listen, in it, Jesus is saying death is permanent, but sleep is temporary. Jesus can look at what other people have said is final over you. No, 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 no. No, she's just asleep. Some people said, you might as well give up. But listen, I want you to talk to the one who has all authority today and speak to that thing, that it has to be moved. And you, you know, you, you imagine Jesus, look at that, that. This is Jesus. He's on the scene. And these people, they're laughing. They're, they're making a commotion. And he said, no, no, no. You're laughing? No. You're sarcastic? You're cynical? And God prayed to God that he'd deal with our sarcasm and our cynicism in the body of Christ. Lord, help us. It's a Pharisee spirit. You think it's funny? Get out. You think I can't do this? Get out of the room. That's Jesus. That's not me. It's time for the body of Christ to begin to tell fear to get out of your life. Anxiety, you have to go now. I'm done. Sickness in my body, it has to go in the name of Jesus. And sometimes, sometimes we're just afraid to speak these things because we don't really know if it's going to happen. But that is the moment where we have to just say, God, I give it to you. You're the answer to this. And the final outcome is up to you. But I'm going to pray this way. And I'm going to bank my words on the word of God and the word of life. And I'm going to pray because I know that you are the absolute final authority in this situation. It's time for the body of Christ to push back the boundaries. What am I saying? You need to push back the boundaries in Jesus' name. No matter what you're going through today, you need to push it back. You need to push back the boundaries that are in your life today.